you just got to pick yourself up and get yourself back on stage. So mm. whether that's the next day or the next act, you can't let it get to you. Um, but I found that the the harder I worked, the more confidence I had getting on stage, which sounds like a no-brainer. But the more rehearsal time and preparation my body went through in the studio gave me confidence to go, okay, I've just done it in the studio or I did it yesterday, full call, no problem. I'll be fine on stage tonight. So I never kind of went, oh, I just hope it works tonight. Um, I was always very um, fastidious in, in the preparation yeah. and that helped my nerves and confidence. Hello and welcome to the podcast for ballerinas, adult ballerinas, parents of ballerinas and everyone in between. I'm your host, Georgia Canning, also known as the Balance Ballerina And it's my mission to break down the elitist barriers often associated with ballet. Through my own studios and ballet-related businesses, I'm all about providing space and content for people from all walks of life to experience and enjoy the many benefits of ballet. Each month, I'll bring you industry leaders and thought-provoking guests who will hopefully inspire you to lead a more balanced life, full of grace, with a little grit. Hello everyone. Before we get into today's episode of the Balanced Ballerinas podcast, I thought I'd quickly reintroduce myself for those that may be new listeners. Because today I realized that the podcast is actually almost 12 months old and when I check the stats, I am blown away and I see that many listeners are from all over the world and from all walks of life, which is really, really exciting and also incredibly humbling. So thank you. Now, if you didn't already know, my name is Georgia Canning and I'm your host. I'm also a ballet teacher, a studio owner, a writer, and I guess in general you could say ballet advocate, which is why this podcast was born. The podcast was created out of my desire to have deeper conversations, basically, with industry leaders and people that I find really interesting in this space, to share some insights into this ever-alluring world of ballet by breaking down the barriers that are often, unfortunately, associated with it. So, as a ballet teacher, healthy bodies and happy minds are my aim, and I try to evoke this through the podcast, but I also have a more hands-on approach with my retreats that I run. This year, in fact, I took 15 women on the very first Balanced Ballerinas Adult Ballet Retreat, which we ran in beautiful Byron Bay. And we started each morning with some class, obviously, followed by a bit of repertoire. We did some body conditioning and a little meditation. We had beautiful, healthy lunches. And then we had a special dinner at Elements Resort, which was just the loveliest night. I can't even begin to tell you. I will be dropping some new 2020 dates for adult ballet retreats next year very soon. So keep listening in for those. But in January, I'm running something very similar, but for teens and tweens. The teens are on the 13th and 14th of January and the tweens are on the 15th and 16th of January. The retreats are like no other workshop or masterclass you've attended. The 2020 tween and teen Balanced Ballerinas Summer Retreat is for any budding young dancer, basically with a passion for ballet and taking care of your mindset and body. 
Each day begins with an open ballet class and repertoire guided by myself. And then after some morning tea, the students will learn some practical Pilates and safe stretching and body conditioning tools to keep those bodies really healthy throughout the year with Sarah Kylie, who's actually a guest of the pod. And you can listen to her episode number 22 from a few months ago. Then after some lunch, I'll lead the group with some mindset and goal setting strategies, basically to ensure that they feel confident heading into the new year. And then the day finishes with a jazz and audition technique masterclass with Bodie Fulton, who will ensure that the students are prepared for any auditions or challenges that they face throughout the year. So it's going to be lots of fun. And if you are a budding young ballerina or you know one, I would love to see you or them there. Oh, and did I mention that every ballerina is gifted a um, one of our famous tops with the ballet 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 logo and they get an insulated eco-friendly balanced ballerinas drink bottle i bring mine everywhere and love it and i'm sure you will too so you can head to balanceballerinas.com slash shop to book or you can find the link in our instagram bio link at balance ballerinas now I have a very special episode for everyone today. It's special for many reasons, but especially special to me because as a young ballerina in training at the Australian Ballet School, I used to peer through the studio windows and watch Lucinda Dunn every spare moment that I got. As you'll hear in this conversation at the start, in the middle and at the end, I'm a bit of a gushing mess because All of a sudden, I realized I was sitting across from the ballerina I most admired growing up. When you've spent hours scrapbooking photos of someone and studying their every move, to then years later be interviewing them for your podcast, it's a really surreal moment. Lucinda Dunn received her early training in Sydney with Tanya Pearson before going on to win a Prix de Lausanne scholarship to study at the Royal Ballet School in London. Now, while in London, Lucinda performed with the Birmingham Royal Ballet before returning to Australia in 1991 to join the Australian Ballet. In 2002, Lucinda was promoted to principal artist and danced many roles in all of the major classical ballets such as Giselle, Romeo and Juliet, Swan Lake and Capellia, Sleeping Beauty, Firebird and Nutcracker, of course. Lucinda has won numerous awards, including Australian Dance Award for Outstanding Performance in 2008, a Heltman Award nomination for Dance Performer of the Year in 2007 and 2004, a Green Room Award for Best Female Dancer in 2005, and a Heltman Award nomination for Best Female Dancer in 2011 and 2010. In 2015, Lucinda won an Australian Dance Award for Outstanding Performance by a Female Dancer for her performance in the Australian Ballet's Manon. As Australia's longest-serving ballerina, Lucinda announced her retirement in 2014 and received a Medal of the Order of Australia for her service to the performing arts through ballet. That same year, Lucinda was appointed as the Artistic Director of the Tanya Pearson Academy and the Sydney City Youth Ballet. It might surprise some of you that Lucinda wasn't initially interested in becoming a ballerina. Inspired by her mother's performances on West End in London, her heart was actually set on musical theatre. And we chat about this and many other topics like 
how she almost left the Australian Ballet many times and her ridiculously high expectations of herself returning to the stage after having children and whether it's harder to make it as a ballerina today. I think some of you will be really shocked by how honest and candid Lucinda is with her answers. I know I certainly was. But if I'm really honest, I shouldn't have expected anything less from this stunningly unique and fiercely determined woman. I'm always attracted to this kind of person and it's no wonder I couldn't stop staring at her through the studio windows as a 15-year-old. I'd like to thank Lucinda for her time during my visit to Sydney and for being such an inspiration to me when I was a young ballerina, trying to find her feet in the tough world of professional ballet. Honestly, Lucinda is the epitome of grit and grace, and even though I chose a different path, I'd like to think a slice of my strength and determination came from being in her orbit all those years ago. I wish Lucinda all the very best in her new role as Artistic Director at Tanya Pearson Academy in Sydney, and when I was there to interview Lucinda, I had the pleasure of watching some of the classes, and it had a beautiful old-school vocational training vibe rich in history with a heart at the nucleus. A beautiful place for any budding young ballerina with talent oozing out the studio doors. As always, enjoy this very special conversation. And as this is our last episode with a Christmas giveaway attached with MDM, make sure you wait until the end so you can hear the code word to win yourself a beautiful new pair of ballet shoes. Enjoy. The Balanced Ballerinas podcast is proudly supported by MDM Dancewear, the company that has developed the world's most advanced footwear for dance. If you're wanting to be your best, or perhaps one of the very best, make sure you've tried MDM for ballet, contemporary, or jazz. MDM, engineered for expression. First of all, and I and I didn't want to say this before we were recording because I wanted to get on record. Thank you so much. It, I'm kind of pinching myself sitting here because I I think I told you, but I used to when I was down at the Australian Ballet School watch through the windows, and you were just my absolute idol and inspiration. And so I'm kind I'm really pinching myself. Oh, that's really sweet. I'm very humbled. Thank no, you. <laughs> I, you really were, and I I think maybe I maybe I did see a little bit of myself in you because you were so dynamic and strong, mm-hmm. and 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 compared to all my peers being very lithe and mm-hmm. and and I I just I just oh you were everything to me. Wow. So, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thank you. That means a lot. I mean, I retired five and a half years ago, so there's a lot of people out there that probably wouldn't have seen me dance. Um, but I, I do appreciate thoughts like that and that, that you still remember. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, 100%. You are, you are my idol. But anyway, so I'm going to stop um, gushing and I'm going to actually ask you some <laughs> questions. <laughs> so um, you're, I'm going to start with um, your mum. She was a performer mm-hmm. at West End in musicals, That's which right. a lot of people might not know. Was that the catalyst for you starting uh, dance? Was she your inspiration growing up? Um, I mean, at the age of... Four, I think I started tap even before I started ballet. So I think that's probably mum's influence, heavily influenced. Um, and she's always loved tap. Um, growing up, I did want to follow my mum's footsteps. I wanted to be in musicals. I wanted to sing. I wanted to dance. I wanted to act. I wanted to be on stage. So there was always that factor. But I didn't probably didn't even know what that was when I was young. I just thought that that's what 
mum did, so probably I would do that too. Um, I was really lucky growing up, though, that I did um, do all-round dancing. Like, I loved character and um, modern, it was called back then, ballet, jazz, um, and I was very good at all the styles. And I, I actually thank that for my career because I was very versatile um, as well. So that's what we're trying to deliver in this academy as well now is to make sure that there is a diversity, and especially with today's dancers, they, they need to do everything. absolutely to do everything and their bodies to be pushed in every direction um, and having the tools and the um, inspiration behind it. Beautiful. I, um, cause yeah, cause ballet wasn't your original love. Not at all. And um, <laughs> stupidly, as fi as young and naive fifteen year old with braces, we had the Royal Ballet Company in town, um, and I did a class that was an open class. Um, at the Sydney Dance Company. I, I clearly remember it. And then I was chosen to talk to one of the teachers afterwards and they said, oh, you know, how did you enjoy the class? And I said, oh, well, you know, it was really great. Thank you. And they said, oh, what are you hoping, what you know, to do with your ballet? And I said, no, I want to be in musicals. Like bright-eyed, so silly <laughs> to the Royal Ballet Company, but how funny that I ended up at the school eventually anyway. Because they wouldn't have many people sit there and go, oh, no, I'm going to do musical theatre. No, I mean, I suppose... I just didn't want to just do ballet and I suppose 30 years ago um, that was perceived as what a ballet company was and not so much of this diverse repertoire that's now on offer and I just didn't want to do one thing so I just thought ballet wasn't for me or actually probably thought that I wasn't even good enough to be honest it um, wasn't until Tanya Pearson um, actually got uh, saw me as a student and said look I think you got to be a ballerina and well, no, I don't think so. Nobody had ever identified that before. So that was probably where I started to change my paths and kind of I've just followed what has been on offer rather than a big goal that, you know, I wanted to be at the Royal Ballet School or I wanted to be in the Australian Ballet. It was just yeah. I was really lucky that I fell into a path that I followed. And that someone told you, like, you're built for this. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And had that gave you that insight into maybe you should go down this path. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It's nice. Well, when you were at the Royal Ballet, um, one thing I wanted to bring up was that you had a major mm. um, a major injury where you suffered a spinal fracture and you had this huge cast mm. all over your body. And like, what was going through your mind at that age in regards to such a serious injury mm. at such a young, very impressionable age. It was, yeah. Um, devastation, obviously, but what was to even top it off was that my mum and my brother had moved to the UK to be with me, to support me. Yeah. I was offered a scholarship from the Pre-Lazan competition when I was 15, um, very young, naive, 15-year-old, and I wasn't going to move alone. My mum wouldn't have had me go all the way to England, um, but I was really fortunate. I lived with my grandparents, mm. um, so that I, I was living with family and my mum and brother moved. So they moved from, from Sydney to London, yeah. and I'm in a plaster cast from my armpits to my hip bones oh my um, for three months, and that's how they treated fractures at that time. Um, it's called a stress fracture, so it really was either either bad technique um, using um, overuse of certain bones, and it was a hairline, but it was painful, and it took uh, twelve weeks and three hours for me to be in that plaster <sighs> cast for it to were, heal. Uh, not that you were counting. Well, anything. I was a little bit full scholarship <laughs> at the Royal Ballet School. My mum and brother had moved, and I couldn't dance at all. And how did the Royal Ballet School take that? They were great. Yeah. Yeah. And I spent a lot of time in the physio room. So in hindsight, probably I learnt, you know, um, you know, about physio and techniques and all of that as well. Um, and then I, I was welcomed back into my second year um, as well because it was just a one-year scholarship that I received from the pre-design competition. Mm. But the Royal Ballet School obviously um, wanted to keep me for another year, so I was able to go back and graduate. Yeah. And so then 
being over at the Royal Ballet School, what made you then choose to come home to Australia? It's a good question. Um, funny enough, I toured with the Birmingham Royal Ballet when I was in my second year at the Royal Ballet um, School and I had been offered a job. Um, Sir Peter Wright was the director at the time. Um, he offered me a contract with the Birmingham Royal Ballet. Yeah. And at the the same time or just prior to that, Maina Gilgood, who was directing the Australian Ballet Company, had seen me, I think, at the Genet competition in London. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd done a couple of classes when I was um, young and she identified that she was interested. Um, so she formally offered me a contract also while I was um, in my last term with the Royal Ballet School. And it took me a good month. Mm. Um, I was in and out of the director's office of, of the Royal Ballet and just sort of talking through options and they were really supportive and they just wanted me to be where I wanted to be happy. Both companies toured, both companies interested, um, had great rep, um, gave opportunities to, for younger dancers. Um, and in the end, I suppose it was, did I want to stay in Birmingham or did I want to come home and be with family and be a part of the Australian Ballet? So yeah. that's the history. What was it like um, with Mena as director? She was a, she was wonderful for me. She's still very much a role model and mentor. Um, mm. I was really lucky that she came into our studios a year ago. No, yes, this time last term. Sorry, because we staged um, her Act Two version of Giselle. Yes. So to have her in the studio, you know, with me as a, an artistic director and a teacher and, um, and her. It's surreal. Yeah, really. Um, but she was wonderful. She gave me so many opportunities. Um, I was promoted and pushed really fast. I was mm. a senior artist, I think, within five years, um, doing principal roles at that time. I think within my first 12 months, I did Aurora, for instance, with Maina, because she just wanted to have that young talent come through and, and give opportunities. And I suppose also lucky I was given um, opportunities to understudy many roles. Mm. And my work ethic being as it is, I learnt them, I rehearsed them, and often I was then given opportunities on stage. Yeah. I um, Speaking of Australian ballet, you are Australia's, this is quite a title, longest serving uh, ballerina. Yes. 25 years with the Australian ballet. 23 um, when I is retired. It? But um, yeah. yeah, the longest serving female. So yeah. I'm very honoured to hold that. It, it's, <laughs> and it's also really unique. I mean, not even, not just in ballet companies, but in many jobs. People mm. jump around all over the place and no one ever seems to stand still for a second. It's and true. so it's it's really unique. It's mm. really special. So yes. how does I'll it feel to hold that title? I'm going to hold it for as long as I can. I'm sure there'll be a long stayer, you know, eventually that takes over it. But um. I, um, you know, I had wonderful times with the Australian Ballet. It wasn't all rosy and I'm not going to pretend it was. I had some really hard times emotionally, physically, mentally um, as well. But um, the memories that I have, you know, you know, you think of the good ones. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually back with the Australian Ballet teaching at the moment. So I'm really pleased that I'm, you know, st still included with the company in a different capacity. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, I'm curious, did you ever... Um were you ever close to leaving, going to a different company or? Yes, and I had three different directors. Um, the middle director I had, I remember a distinct conversation. I went into the office and I said, if you can't use me, I need to go. And I had my husband in the car downstairs waiting for me to have this conversation. Um, and that was really close. I was really unhappy um, physically, you know, wasn't working. So therefore physically it wasn't feeling or looking good. And it just gets into that spiral. Yeah. And luckily, um, it was the outcome was that I could I would be used, um, and it was really that fine. I was about to walk out, and I probably wouldn't have danced again. That's um, it's really interesting. Can I ask what year do you reckon that was, oh. if you can remember? Uh, mid nineties. Yeah, I'm trying. It's funny, like you know, as a as a young ballerina, 
from my point of view when I was when I was watching you and through the through the windows yeah. <laughs> spying on you yeah. stalking you no big deal um it's just really interesting it always looks so rosy and yeah. it's and I think sometimes it's important to know and you know it's why conversations like this are great mm. because you have to you know everyone experiences really dark absolutely and difficult there are times. real struggles and especially you know as a dancer and the the way that the industry works and being in a studio all day every day with a mirror you know mm-hmm. with and comparing yourself and and you know body image and all that as well that's that's really really hard and obviously um you you want to look and be your best all the time and the amount of performances the Australian ballet demands is peak performance all the time and sometimes as a teenager or, or going through um your 20s mm-hmm. your body you know it doesn't always feel and look its best yeah and I did struggle with that and I'm you know not not proud of it but I'm also not not ashamed to say that I had you know those issues and struggles too that many people do and casting as well you know disappointments that you really wanted a role or you did something last time and you're not casted again or you might even be with a partner that you don't like don't like (laughs) (laughs) or or prefer to be with somebody else that's stronger and handles you better so there's many different disappointments as it comes and some performances you come off stage and go I'm so disappointed with myself and that's really hard to take yeah, I think um, I think it's really interesting that um, actually I just I literally read something this morning on Instagram. Misty Copeland put out an article that she was interviewed in um, saying that you know there's so much pressure on professional dancers when you go on stage um, to be exactly the same every single night, mm-hmm. and you're human mm-hmm. like athletes. There's mm-hmm. this expectation and. And sometimes it doesn't go to plan. And so on those nights where it didn't go to plan or something didn't feel or something felt, you know, just off, mm. how, how did you cope with that? Um, for me, the fine line between a good performance and a great performance was or, or one that got from it was going to start to feel great and then goes, you know, horribly wrong can happen in a split second. Um, and you just got to pick yourself up and get yourself back on stage. So mm. whether that's the next day or the next act, you can't let it get to you. Um, but I found that the the harder I worked, the more confidence I had getting on stage, which sounds like a no-brainer. But the more rehearsal time and preparation my body went through in the studio gave me confidence to go, okay, I've just done it in the studio or I did it yesterday, full call, no problem. I'll be fine on stage tonight. So I never kind of went, oh, I just hope it works tonight. Um, I was always very um, fastidious in, in the preparation yeah, and that helped my nerves and confidence. Preparation is key, isn't it? It is, yes. Yeah, whether you're a whether you're a pre-professional whether you're a professional mm-hmm. yeah well speaking of though you performed in 93 ballets that's incredible now I have to ask a crowd favorite is <laughs> what what's your favorite role what's your favorite ballet I'm sure you get asked this all the time I but do. if I don't ask it people will go Georgia why didn't you ask? <laughs> <laughs> okay I'll give you my stock standard answer to start with okay um for me the process of being in a studio with a partner and a coach was sometimes even more special and meaningful than a performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so creating the role of Juliet, for instance, with Robert Curran, who was a long-term um, partner of mine for about 10 years. We were promoted to principals together and, and subsequently danced most of the ballets together. That We formed a really beautiful partnership. So some of those moments within um, the studio and um, developing and feeling a role, whether it had a character or whether it was just purely technical, you know, some of the funnest and most special times that I can remember. Um, In saying so, I will give you a couple of... um, Give me a couple of crap Give you a couple of (laughs) favourites. Romeo and Juliet, you know, that just has to be um, the story that everybody aspires to do. I retired with Manon. Yes. So that was a really special ballet for the reason um, of that was my last. Um, and then 
I was just thinking of another one. And there's some one-act ballets that I really enjoyed doing that weren't necessarily anything to do with story, but it is to do with um, the process. And I think that's important too, that all the work that you do behind the scenes, the blood, sweat and tears that you put into the studio needs to be rewarding. Um, Otherwise, you're just hanging out for a performance. um, And sometimes it's not really how it ends up what you envisaged it to be yeah and especially if you get injured or something goes haywire Mm. you know you might not if your end goal is always the performance like you might not be performing for a long period of time and if you don't enjoy the work Mm. Giselle's another one for me as well but I think you've touched on something really interesting is injury and um, like athletes uh, it's part and parcel unfortunately your body's not going to be running at 100% perfect all the time but Mm. you've got to learn to know when to pull back because it's danger um, or whether you're tired and sore and just push through it will make you stronger that's something you've got to learn against your own body and I I learned to know my body really quite well Um, yeah speaking of your body though so what happened when you decided to have children how did you feel how did was that going from you know, your body's your tool mm-hmm. and you're in so, you know, you have so much control over it as a dancer and you know it inside out to, whoa, what is happening? I loved it. I you was loved in, it? I was in a leotard and point shoes as much as I could possibly and as long into my pregnancy. I loved having boobs and a belly. Yeah. It was fabulous. And the lycra just stretched and... That what, what fascinated me about the process too was I really was um, wanting to come back after both children um, if providing my body and my baby would let me. Yeah. So I did work right up until the day before I had my babies um, and I was on point for as long as it was physically possible just to keep that strength so I didn't have extra work to do post. Yeah. Um, but what fascinated me was was balance, like how you how my body adapted. I didn't have to go, okay, now I've got a belly, I've got to have my weight further back or anything. Like my, my body, body just it knew. did it, yeah. Interesting. Um, and then coming back the other way, you know, it was was tough. You know, getting mm. that bikini body ballet uh, back after having a baby. <laughs> yeah. And the celebrities say I did it in six weeks. Well, you know, it's tough work and it's it's hard slog. You know, building from the inside out. You know, can't just go for a run and you feel better, but it's getting all of those internal muscles back and getting all of the right technique. Um, which is slow and frustrating. I um I interviewed Amber Scott yesterday. Oh. Yeah, I went to the Opera House and, oh. and visited her, and um and she's just gorgeous, and obviously she's just had little Bonnie. Yeah, and um and it's really funny. I asked her the same question. You know what it's like going from being in so con- such control of your body to no control really, mm. and she had the same answer. Oh really? And so you both surprised me. Oh. I thought you'd be like, oh my gosh, it was just really tough, and mm. and but you both were like. Eh. It was yep. great. Yep. Loved it. <laughs> yep. Loved having boobs. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was yeah. So that, I think and embrace that. Um, yeah. You know, there's not many ballerinas that you know that feel that way. I suppose or kept going for as yeah. long as I possibly did. But um, that's just me and <laughs> my stupidity. I think sometimes. <laughs> that's so funny. So speaking of Claudia and Ava. Mm-hmm. Um, so when once they were born, I mean, how difficult was it? You, you're coming home late at night, you know, from from rehearsals or from the stage, and and what was it like juggling life? Difficult, as a, yeah. Oh my goodness, difficult. Um, Claudia, for instance, she didn't sleep a lot. Yeah. Um, I also had this um, fast tracked return to stage, my own persistence and want. I was asked by Christopher Wilden, who had a company at the time called Morphosis, mm. and he was invited to the. 2009 um, Sydney Festival, which was uh, January, so just around Christmas time. And Claudia was born in August. Okay. So I was in a white unitard on stage after five months. Oh, my gosh. Not very well. Listeners, not very well. (laughs) I was quite ill and not sleeping and was a wreck. 
um, but it was the goal that I set and I did. Um, so when I had my second baby, I said, I'm not going to do that. That was very silly. So uh, it you was... You learned your lesson. Well, listen, it was... Um, I thought I'd come back and it was six months later to Swan Lake in New York. So That's still a very, <laughs> very short timeline. And again, very silly. So... Um, and just, you know, in New York, no, not a big stage at all. I know, no. I know. But I remember oh, one of my friends actually who's retired from the company as well and I remember coming off, off of Act 4 um, and coming around the back of the stage after I'd finished the performance and I just collapsed on her. I think it was the pressure of – I actually had to leave my, my daughters in um, Melbourne with my mother because my husband Danny was the associate director of yeah. the ballet company so we were on tour together and I just remember trying to battle injury getting back from a second pregnancy being overseas being in Swan Lake being at the um it was the Coke Theatre in the Lincoln Centre and then delivering you four acts of Swan Lake and I just kind of collapsed and, on this poor swan <laughs> and missing your babies and absolutely emotionally um you know charged and yeah it was hard well, I was actually, you've already touched on it a little bit, but your last performance was Manon. Mm-hmm. How did that feel? Like, what was that, like, for someone that will never experience that feeling, mm. what did that feel like? Your very last performance, you know, flowers last, being thrown on yeah, stage. Yeah, no, I was really lucky. I had a farewell in Melbourne, which was beautiful. Yeah. And it was all quite a, a, a rush decision from the company's perspective. Obviously, it takes years to, to work out when is a good time. I had a lot of injuries with my calves in the my, my final years of... Um, with the Australian Ballet and I just knew you know past 40 it was not going to get any easier or, or better um, and Manon was a ballet that I had always wanted to do and um, so I spoke to David McAllister at the time and said look this is what I'd like um, and I didn't want any farewells I just wanted to say look this is my last one and I'll be you know I'll, I'll leave but I had farewells, farewells performances in Melbourne which was great and then my very final performance in Sydney I remember um, the entrance of Manon is in a carriage yeah. and um, the, the gates open and Manon comes out of the carriage and waves and runs onto stage. And I just thought, I just want the gates open and the gates to close and they just go off. I said, I just don't know if I could cope with the pressure and the emotions of that. Yeah, because um, everyone's like, because everybody in the audience would have known. They it was all knew, last, yeah. yeah. yeah so a lot of pressure. No pressure, but it was absolutely beautiful and I'm really glad that I was able to choose my final performances. I was really able, um, glad I was able to, to dance to when I had decided. It wasn't through injury. It wasn't through direction that, you know, I wasn't. Um, at my, my peak and I didn't want to dance for too long where I was disappointed where I came off stage disappointed because I couldn't do what I wanted to do anymore yeah because a lot of dancers don't get that choice exactly so I feel very privileged that that's sort of the, the path that, that laid ahead yeah and so then now today you have made a full circle really because mm-hmm. you studied at Tanya Pearson's mm-hmm. and now you are the artistic director I so know. how did that come about I'm really curious it wasn't anything that I dreamed of doing um I had always come back to Tanya Pearson's Academy when I was dancing to coach or to give talks to the students and and, and support them in that way when um, the company were at the Opera House. Um, And Mrs Pearson was always a big supporter of me and would come to performances, etc. It was probably around six or seven years ago that her youngest daughter, Nicole, who's the executive director of the Tanya Pearson Academy, called me. I was in Melbourne and she said, look, Mrs P is slowing down a little bit, thinking of retiring. And I'm like, okay, that's good. I was thinking she was wanting me to come back for a farewell or do a performance or something like that. she said, oh, and we're thinking that we'd like to have a meeting to see whether you take on the position. And you're like, whoa, hang Me on a being me, I just burst into tears. <laughs> I think with a little bit of, oh, my God, I can't do that. And with, oh, really, you want me to take on that prestigious role? Um, so I gave it some thought and um, here I am. 
but <laughs> yeah. oh my like, god! Oh wait a second! <laughs> I just realised I'm actually here now. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm honoured in one way because of the reputation that it holds, um, but I then had to learn everything about what this job job means because of being a dancer for 23 years looking after myself obviously a husband and family when when those times came um but now I'm looking after um you know many little ballerinas. many budding you know mm. talented elite ballet students um and wanting what I had you know wanting the professional career and the ballerina and the principal role. Um, I'm doing my best as, as possibly what I can to pass on all information and knowledge I know and have learnt. And obviously over the past five years, I've I've learnt so much about the industry and ballet schools, ballet academies, um, travelled as much as I possibly can to meet directors overseas. So mm-hmm. we've crafted a curriculum that, um, that, that meets the challenges of what the dancers need today. Um, and yeah, I feel very honoured that I have this position and um, highly respected within the international uh, field. Definitely. Whenever um, people ask me about full-time studios, um, my first go-to is, well, I'd, if I had a little girl and she, you know, had all the facility and that's what she wanted and that's where I'd be sending her. Oh, that's TPA. wonderful. Thank so, you. Yeah. But um, I'm yeah. really lucky also that I have a, a fantastic faculty that supports yeah. me in decisions and um communications we have and I'm also fortunate that the more reputation we have the better students that keep coming through the door and knocking Mm. on the door saying you know will you take me and it it is an audition process but I'm sometimes astounded with with the talent that we have. Yeah it it definitely feels like if you come here there's a a tribe ready to get you yes you know where you need to be as long as you've got everything that you need to get there and sometimes that doesn't even work you know it's what I try and educate them also that yes you can do all the training and I can give you all the tools but there is no guarantee at the end it's not like you're doing a certificate of something and you start a marketing job you know yeah at the low ranks and you build up this is you know are you in the right place at the right time with the right physique with the right direction you know so with the right color hair yeah (sighs) <sighs> yeah, so I do explain that along the way and they all nod and say, yes, I know. But then it's like, okay, but, you know, do you <laughs> now actually <what? laughs> know? Yes, yes, no, I agree. Um, it was really, speaking, it's a, a nice little segue into this. I was listening to you uh, doing an interview and it was very refreshing to hear you say, if you're four foot and you look like a weightlifter, you will not have a career as a professional ballerina. <laughs> and because I think there's, you know, lots of chat in the ballet world about diversity and whatnot mm. and and but it's true like if you can explain to the listeners really what it does take because you can have the legs and the feet and everything going for you but you might not have the heart or you Mm. have the heart but you just don't Mm. have the legs and the feet so yeah um this is another standard comment too it's 50 percent mental 50 percent physical and i think sometimes that mental aspect um is watered down a little bit of how hard it is every day to get up and out of bed and to get into class and to push yourself to 100% and you've got an injury or you're tired for whatever it is. So from that fascinated me and I think that's probably why I, I thought psychology might be something interesting just to study, just to work out how all that works and, you know, the, and just getting, you know, trying to, to boost yourself up and have confidence mm. and be positive all the time. So, um, it, it, yeah, it's not only the way you look, um, but also, you know, how much strength you have as a person, but also physically through your muscles, yeah. um, to what dancer you sort of turn turn into or can have the potential for. Do you think it's easier or harder to make it these days? Harder. Yeah. And why is that? I think um, the directors are looking for perfection, more than perfection than before. Um, the amount of companies and dancers within those companies is shrinking. 
um, and the, the, the standards are higher. Definitely. I, um, I wanted to know now as, you know, now as an artistic director of a very prestigious dance school, ballet school, what is your, I mean, that's a very hard job. What is your wish, like your number one wish for students at TPA? Is to have the dreams the of, a, of a professional career. Yeah. Um, even the young part-time program, m- many of them want to come into the full-time program to progress and be offered a contract. And that's my dream for my students. Yeah. Um, I always ask this question because it usually gets an, a, a nice response, an interesting response. What keeps you up at night? work. <laughs> I have a 3am book which gets filled quite often. Um, yeah, just with things I need to do um, to make these dreams come true. And it could be little things or it might be something as big as, you know, creating a season that we're trying to perform next year and what repertoire would best suit the dancers I have in front of me. Yeah, um, We're about to go into a, a nutcracker season of which we have seven performances and, you know, just the casting logistics of all of that. Um, I'm often kept awake. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, so funny. I, um, I have always this question at the end of the podcast, being the Balanced Ballerinas podcast. Mm-hmm. What is your, although maybe by the sounds of it, you don't have that much balance, but do you? what's your number one tip for leading a balanced life? I always tell my students, it's not, it doesn't go anything against me because I don't listen to myself, but I want my teenagers, um, students to be teenagers. So have a yeah. rest on a Sunday, go for a walk on the beach, grab a friend and go to the park, have a picnic, uh, read a book. Don't be in the studio seven days a week. You know, you've got to be able to find out who you are as a person. So therefore, as an artist, you can be more mature and really understand what you're about. For me, balance, no. It's quality over quantity, <laughs> isn't it though? Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit crazy work-wise, um, but I, that needs to balance out a little bit more so I can spend time with my young daughters as well. So How really old are they now? Eight and 11. Yeah, because they're tiny. They're tiny. So I'm looking forward to the summer holidays where we get a big chunk of time together. Yeah. Do they dance? They do. They do. <laughs> yes. Are they here? They're not here yet, um, but next year, yes. Are they very good? Don't know. Don't know Don't yet? think so yet. Mm. Um, you tested their turnout, you know, pointed their toes. Yes, kind of really. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's funny, my 11-year-old, you know, she looks at me to say, well, what do you know? You know, and she's so funny when I can't do a proper bun or there's a lump in the hair. She says, mum, you're a professional ballerina and you can't even do my bun. And are you like, do you know who you're speaking to? No, I just say, you know what? When I was a professional ballerina, I did my own bun. I didn't have to do your uh, 11-year-old bun. But, so she's so funny. Um, they are dancing and they do ballet, jazz, and they are doing all round as well. And I'm really happy for that to continue while mm. they're enjoying it and while they're happy and healthy, um, you know, as they're growing up. Because it is a beautiful environment to be around if you're in a, a nurturing, happy school. It is. Maybe they'll be the musical theatre stars. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> well, I wanted to say happy birthday because guess what? <laughs> no, no, because this episode will actually drop a day before your birthday. Oh, wow. Thank you. <laughs> so happy birthday, Lucinda. Thank you and, so much, um, Georgia. Seriously, I know how busy you are and with Nutcracker season and thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me. I have admired you from afar for a very, very long time. Like I told you, I'm just pinching myself. Oh, I'm very privileged. It's very surreal and very bizarre for me to be sitting across from you and <laughs> interviewing you for my podcast. So... Thank you so much. Please come again. And can I just squeeze in that we've got Nutcracker performances at the Concourse Theatre in Chatswood in Sydney from the 19th to the 22nd of December, um, which is happening in a couple of weeks. So anyone that's interested or have, has enjoyed listening to this interview, please get your tickets from the Concourse Theatre. Definitely. Thank you so much, Lucinda. Thank you, Georgia. I hope you all enjoyed that episode as much as I did bringing it to you. 
Now, I am beyond excited to share this collaboration between MDM Dance and the Balanced Ballerines podcast in the lead up to Christmas. This is now our final of four giveaways that we have been doing over the last few months where you had the chance to win a beautiful pair of MDM ballet shoes each fortnight. All you had to do was listen to the BB podcast for the code word, which you've already done. And then number two, comment with the code word on the episode's Instagram post. Three, you have to follow Balance Ballerinas, which obviously you already do. And four, follow MDM Dance. A winner is drawn one week after each episode airing and announced on the following episode. So good luck, but I'm going to do it a little bit different. Instead of just doing the code word, I would like you to use the code word in a sentence and tell me what you thought about this week's episode on the episode tile. So you're going to go on Instagram and you're going to look for the episode tile, which will have Lucinda Dunn's beautiful face on there. And you're going to have to tell me what you thought of the episode using the code word in the sentence, which is love. I've kept it pretty easy for you. Anyway, I am looking forward to reading your responses. And once again, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. It was a really special one for me and um, I hope it was as special for you.